Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. I'm very excited to have this guest on today. I think it's been a long time since he last made his podcasting, um, made a podcasting experience. It was probably Two Beers with Steve, or did you do another one after that? No, it's actually been Two Beers with Steve, and I want to say that was about six years ago. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah, and and at the time you were writing, uh, you were working still full-time in the Air Force, writing uh but you you were writing for peak prosperity and yes. um i we became friends on facebook through charles hugh smith i forget i think you you commented on one of his posts and i was like oh this dude looks interesting and i i was like oh he's friends with steve patterson i'm gonna shoot him a friend and then uh we've been friends ever since commenting on different things um I think I think you you realize that sometimes on my posts you can't use intelligent conversation and you have to troll like you have to troll I I noticed you started to troll a little bit and I was like I was like you got to you got to troll sometimes but I think uh but anyways um none other he's uh Aaron YR on Facebook so if you want to friend him let him know you heard him on the sample hour Otherwise, he's also known as Aaron Moyer, which is his birth name. So, Aaron, thanks for joining me, man. I'm super, super excited to have you on. Yeah, great to be here, Drew. I'm, I'm happy to be talking with you. Yeah, we've been trying to figure this out for past few months, and um, glad holidays. I'm not as busy right now, and I, I think you just got done with school, and you got some time away from the family, so I'm, I'm glad you uh, made some time for me. So, uh, we're going to do this format in honor of Two Beers with Steve. So uh, what uh, what are you drinking today, Aaron? I'm drinking some Buffalo Trace here. So, oh, yeah. yeah, right out of Lexington area. I love Buffalo Trace. Oh, man, good stuff. Especially I w- a cold day like this, you know, a gl- little glass of bourbon neat does, does wonders. Yeah, I went there when I was a kid. I went there. I went to that <laughs> distillery when I was 15. Oh, no. uh, yeah, it was super cool. I found out what a bunghole was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's actually a... Uh, a measurement too, isn't it? Isn't a bung a? Uh, I think it is. I just remember like, oh well, that's what, a buttload. Buttload. But it's actually a measurement. Yeah, so. a buttload. It's yeah. okay. one of those weird tri- trivia things. It's like all these things that have just kind of been snared and used by common culture to uh, to describe, you know, stuff that's maybe not the intended purpose. Uh, actually, came from drinking culture. Go figure. Yeah, most things do though. Like that's that's like uh, Charles and I just talked about that um, on the last podcast we did because we were talking about his new book, and then him and I just talked about entrepreneurship and like really, man. I mean, it's like you know we're both interested in sustainable ag and stuff like that, but it really starts with local beer, local brewing, because oh, yeah. with that handcrafted stuff, people like to have other handcrafted things. And uh, there's a good documentary called "How Beer Saved the World." Um, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but you should check it out. Uh, I'll give it a look. Yeah, I, but when I went there, yeah, so the bunghole thing was, uh, I remember like, oh, that's what Beavis and Butthead was talking about. And it's just a little 
the hole that they put in the barrel, and yeah. then it's the little piece of wood that comes out. But I'm uh, I usually try to drink a local brew, man. Um, but I went into my spot where I get my growlers at. Um, I'll give him a plug. Save a growl, my friend. Uh, my friend actually owns it. Um, ironically, we're not really friends, but I actually traveled with the dude inadvertently one time. Uh, <laughs> we went. I met him at a wedding in Morocco, and then he was like. Uh, yeah, I'm from Columbus too, and I own Saver Growl and all this. And I never went there, and then I moved over here. But they had this beer. It was on. Um, it was a. It was a uh, chocolate peanut butter porter, and they had the. They had two different versions. There's a stronger one, and it's the Imperial. So I have that, and it's from Dewclaw Brewing Company in Baltimore, Maryland, and it's delicious. It's a nice dark beer. Oh man! And it's not even like a. Uh, when you think peanut butter and chocolate, you think it's it's it it's like no, it's a good beer that tastes like peanut butter and chocolate. Like it's so weird. Not like somebody melted a Reese's and just dropped it into a vat of hops. Then, uh, no, no, <laughs> it's like hops that taste like peanut butter and chocolate. I don't know. It's harder to describe. It tastes good. We'll just say that. Um, it's nine percent alcohol, so it's pretty strong too. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, we I wanted to have you on. Um. We've talked uh, – you were actually on Two Beers with Steve, um, and you guys were talking about a – I think it was a popular forum or something that was going on in Peak Prosperity at the time, and there was a discussion going on, and it was similar. It was about situ- situational awareness and, and guns. Um, anybody that is friends with me on Facebook or follows me on Twitter, you'll see that I don't, I don't shy away from conversation with people – who are anti-gun if they comment on mine or i they say something that i feel like is directly talking to me and i and i'll be honest i don't own any guns i think i've shot guns three times in my life uh no more than that i think probably five times but three times as an adult and it's not something and like so the thing for me is it's not that i'm anti it i just haven't had experience, and it's something that I know that I do need to do. Like, it's definitely something I need. It is a skill that I need to learn, and I think it's it's important. And um, so, you know, and and I and whenever I read your posts about it, man, it's it's always super intellectual. And and one thing that is is very common that you say because for in in mainstream culture. Um, you know, you're either for or against it, and it's two extremes. Nobody has guns. Everybody has guns. Yep. But what you say is very different. What you say is it's a responsibility, and we need to encourage people to be responsible and actually learn how to use it. Um, so if you'd like to expand on that a little bit, Aaron. Yeah, sure. I mean, the basic premise that I'm moving from uh, when I talk about anything related to guns and in broader picture here, uh, Bill of Rights issues in general, you know, those things are our rights. Yes. But we have to understand that there's some responsibilities that accompany those. Um, you know, we, we shy away from freedom of speech because it's, it seems innocuous, but you know, over the years, um, organized religion, um, ideas, proposed by leaders and dictators have killed far more people than guns. Guns are, um, 
just kind of a, a material motivator. You know what I mean? They, they make stuff happen, but they're not ultimately responsible for why these things occur. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's a common, a common thing these days is everybody's always talking about, oh, it's, we need more rigorous mental health or, oh, we need to get rid of this means of violence. And neither of those contentions are really true. You know, they're, they're both coming from um, politically oriented um, dialogue trees. You know, it's, it's like trying to scapegoat the issue or saying that guns have nothing to do with it. So really what I want to see is gun owners need to step up and say, Hey, look, we've had Dunning-Krugers for way too long. So many people who own guns don't have any clue what they're doing with them. Uh, and that's irresponsible. That's, it's foolish. It's irresponsible. And it's, it gets people killed. You know, it's like the, I read a story uh, from Florida and this is a couple years old now, but a guy was practicing his fast draw and shot his buddy's pregnant girlfriend in the head. You know, that's, that's the abuse of uh, a right because this guy had no sense of responsibility. So what I'm trying to tell people is that, you know, guns aren't going away. And if we want to compare uh, nations that have strict gun control policies versus guns uh, being kind of liberally integrated into society, um, the sheer per capita numbers don't really mean anything. You know what I mean? So you can look at Switzerland, you can look at Honduras, you can look at Afghanistan, you know, and, um, and try to, to cherry pick things. But the ultimate responsibility lies on citizens. This is a cultural issue. This is an issue of are we responsible as people? Uh, what do we stand for? Are we divided? Are we shooting at our neighbors because we don't like, uh, you know, whatever God they worship or, or what race they are or something like that? You know, is that some stupid bullshit we got to get past as a, as a nation? And um, really what I want to see is responsible dialogue and saying, hey, look, you know, gun ownership should be one of these things where I understand it's a right. Um, so – so people have the right to do this, but that means we need to make the responsibility more accessible. You know what I mean? We educate our children in school so that they, when they go forth and they exercise their freedom of speech, hopefully, I know it doesn't work this way, they're not morons. Uh, you know, and more often than not, um, people don't choose to educate themselves much beyond uh, what they're forced to take in. But, um, you know, with guns, there's, there's venues out there to teach people how to, how to be safe and responsible and intelligent. And I want to see those things pushed to the forefront. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, something I've, uh, recently started listening to, uh, Jack Spearco, um, (laughs) quite a bit and uh, going to get him on and, and, you know, something that I hear Jack say on his show, um, I've, I, you and I have talked about it is, you know, instead of maybe buying a new gun, maybe you should invest some money in some training. And yep. and even before you buy a gun, I think that's a great idea because I know personally the first time I went on my own to shoot a gun, um, I went with my girlfriend at the time and she, neither of us had really shot gun. She was kind of nervous about it and I said, you don't have to. You know, mm-hmm. look, I just thought this would be something fun for us to do and it's something we need to learn. So I didn't really know what I was doing. So I, the gun that I got through this group on, because it included a gun rental. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, what do you want this one? I'm like, well, that name sounds cool. Let's get this one. So ah. I, I I got us a gun that was way too strong. I mean, yeah. it's like a 45 caliber. Mm-hmm. And so already it's not really a good gun for beginners. And um, so I shot the, my girlfriend. She went to shoot it, and she was like, you know, I don't feel comfortable. So she felt bad. I felt bad. Um but it was a good learning experience for both of us. And yeah. then the instructor, which most times, too, when you go to a gun range, um, 
most instructors there or most people that work there either worked as police before or were close to police. And, you know, I mean, and so the instructor who helped me, like, learn if I was right or left eye dominant um, mm-hmm. made me do this simple task. And he, and he had my hands put in a triangle and he said, look at that clock. Now shut your eyes and see which one it is. And I realized I was left eye dominant and I thought I was right eye dominant. And he explained to me that his whole career as a police officer, he thought he was right eye dominant and he was left eye dominant. And and something that was alarming, what I want to say, because it's something that you've said is, you know, and you've pointed out that people assume that police get the best training that's out there. People assume that the military get the best training that's out there. But they they really don't. And isn't that correct? I mean, as a private citizen, you could get you could become far more effective and far more responsible with your with 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 a gun than than either of those two. And and you were you made and I heard you make that I read you make that or talk about that before. Um, is that correct? Oh yeah, in my opinion, absolutely. I mean, there's going to be there's nuances to training and this is what a lot of, of people, um, I don't think they realize, you know what I mean? When you say, okay, firearms training, that's not a, it's not a blanket statement. You know what I mean? It's not like saying automobile, every car fits neatly in there and truck and everything else. Uh, firearms training can be very esoteric. Um, and not to mention there's a lot more that goes into it. There's a lot of physiological interfacing that needs to happen between you and your weapon. There's a lot of tactical knowledge. There's some situational awareness. There's escalation of force uh, protocols and all these different things. So the police departments, the military, they're bogged down with a lot of politics. You know, So if, you get, if you're getting into one of those organizations, you're going to find, okay, you've been trained to this minimum standard and we've seen that we, you know, we're qualifying you as competent. They're not qualifying you as good. Um, and it doesn't confer any special wisdom or intelligence with that weapon. And I think most people in the military and police departments know that even if they won't tell you. Um, and you know, in, in my past, I've, I've shot many qualifications with many different departments and organizations. Um, so a lot of them are just kind of like, uh, earmarks on your overall training package. So yeah, absolutely. You can go out and you can learn from, you know, leading edge instructors in a variety of fields. And, um, also a lot of the folks that, um, you find in police departments and in the military, they're kind of the, the one percenters. They're the dudes who are so motivated to do this stuff. They love doing it. It's, um, it's what they want to be doing. Um, so even if they didn't have military or police as an outlet, they'd still be good shooters. Yeah. And so learning from those people who, who have that rounded um, ability profile and who are real passionate about it, that's a great thing. And, you know, it's one of the things that I think Americans really sell short because there, we just did a class actually yesterday, a friend of mine uh, and I, and uh, it's amazing how quick you can open people's eyes to the difficulty, you know what I mean? The level of difficulty of uh, drawing and firing a weapon quickly and accurately and then doing it under time pressure and then doing it where you have to make judgment calls. Like, is this a, is this target holding something that's dangerous and are they, they presenting it in a way that's dangerous to me or is that a cell phone in their hand? And did I just plug a good guy? You know, and those are the kind of things that I want to see people thinking about. Um, there's certainly no bad that can come of having a higher trained population that, that understands these uh, rights and you know, carries the burden of the responsibilities. So I, I a hundred percent agree. And, you know, something that you said really stood out. I actually work with, um, you know, I'm very, obviously 
you know, I'm, I'm very open. If somebody says something that I think's bullshit, I'll, I'll say it. And if somebody says that, like, if somebody challenges something that I've said, I'll be like, you know what? I, I don't know if I actually do know the truth about that. Let me look it up. And then I try to correct it just like we were talking about before the show. You do this. You like to do the same thing. And, um, you know, but, you know, I have this friend and, and she, uh, her, her brother's a cop. Her dad's a firefighter. And like, you know, she, she's a only girl out of all of her brothers and she, she has a gun and she takes it and she shoots with it. And she's convinced that she could use it under pressure but I'm like, you know, in rea- reality, you going and shooting at a target um, that's just upright at a gun range isn't really going to give you the, the the training that somebody that's trying to hurt you, it's not going to prepare you to, to combat that. Because like you were saying with physiological uh, scenarios that are going on, um, and just to kind of expand on that, like, you know... Your heart rate, your adrenaline is going to be going through the roof. Your heart rate is going to go up to about 150, most likely, possibly oh, yeah. higher than that. Your your chest is going to be pounding. You're going to feel the pounding blood pressure in your hands. And so, you know, a, a shooting range isn't going to prepare you for that. I mean, in, in reality, I, I think, you know, if you went and ran a bunch of bleachers and then did a bunch of push-ups and then it's time to shoot, then that's it. I mean... By athletes, I think are probably the best since they uh, learned to shoot their targets in between their heart rate. Oh yeah, but uh, which is a fascinating sport. Those guys, by the way, have the highest uh, VO two maxes. I don't. I remember when I was studying uh, exercise physiology, they were like they they're the they're the best endurance athletes. Uh, no like, kidding. Yeah, like the, like they're, yeah, just because of like the 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 way it goes into it but anyways because it it takes more than just you know i mean to have to stop focus shoot and then go on again it's it's just crazy and anybody that doesn't know what a biathlon is check it out um but um anyways that was just kind of what i wanted to say um i i think that you know it's i i don't know that police are necessarily getting training for that and i think with a lot of you know, because I I do post things that are pretty considered anti-police because it, it bugs me. I feel like people get all bent out of shape about football players doing stupid stuff and say that they're role models, but no, they're football players. Role models <laughs> in reality. If you're gonna hold somebody to the wall, and I, that's why I sent you that Tupac video, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because what he was saying made so much sense. Like I'm not a role model. I'm a thug. I'm yeah. not the president, and that's and that's the thing. Like you know, football players are football players. They yeah. know police officers are supposed to be pillars of the community. Politicians, which is never going to happen, they're <laughs> supposed to be pillars of the community. So I think it's you know why if we're going to have it, I, I I guess what I'm trying to really get at is is that there's a double standard when it comes to and it, it's it's really not in the UK because the UK took guns away from police as well. Yep. But, you know, there's a double standard right now in, in a conversation that's going on that they people think that only police should have guns and that police should have these militarized thing, units and all this other stuff. And it's just crazy because, number one, they don't have the training to use it. Um, and and I think that should be enough. I mean, they're not if, – if why why would you give it's, – it's irresponsible. And I think it, it, we could circle that back to what we're actually saying about our society is – how irresponsible it is that, you know, not only are people trying to practice their quick draw and shoot their 
their friend's girlfriend in the head, pregnant girlfriend in the head. But now we're arming police officers that aren't trained with all this high military gear stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, and 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 that's the thing. I mean, you know, I I am one who who criticizes the police quite a bit, but at the same time, I'm if if they said we should give police better training, I'm not going to say no. I think that's the biggest issue. Like they aren't trained to deal with people who are, are struggling with mental health. I mean, there's a lot, of, but it's going to cost money, and, it, and it's a complex problem. Oh, and, yeah. and it, But I think it's, you know, that a conversation needs to be had about it. Oh, yeah. Well, check this out. From their perspective, here's, here's what it comes down to. To have a person who's naturally inclined to, to have that spidey sense about criminal, criminal behavior, somebody who's really tuned in, that requires a life a certain lifestyle. You have to be from a certain background to really have that. So when you're hiring police who are all, you know, uh, people who have no criminal record, who went through through college, and this is especially true of state troopers because I think they all have to have bachelors, um, and and basically come from solid families who never really stepped foot out of the, the ivory tower, they're going to be people who see everybody as a criminal. You know what I mean? They're going to shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah, and it's that's the thing is it's so much easier to train police in a, a manner where that's what they do because frankly it's easier to sweep it under the rug than it is to train these guys over years to 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 look for cues and say wait wait a minute you know this guy he might look dicey but this is circumstance you know what I mean he's not doing anything threatening uh, you know the the wood carver's knife on his belt is not going to you know kill me you know I have other options uh, that happened in Seattle by the way. Um, well, what about how many cops shoot dogs? Oh, that's that's just disgusting, man. Like I, I get, I get a, a dog, a big dog. If it's coming at you, I, I get it. Yeah, like, I, I, I do. Like the one guy who they shot his dog. I actually came out and said, no, that guy should have properly put his dog away. That's a big ass dog. His owner's under duress. You actually don't know what's going to happen if it's it, with that breed of dog that is going to protect its owner. It was a Rottweiler or something. Its name is Not Max. Me. Now, the cop that went to the wrong house and then a service dog came out and he opened the door and he shot it right away. Yeah, yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? That's not appropriate at all. And that is disgusting. Yeah, but, and there was another one in St. Louis where they uh, they capped somebody's dog because they, they thought they had a meter violation. Turns out they did have a meter violation, but... You know what I mean? The, the police are losing this, uh, the, what is it? The war on perception, I guess, because, you know, when I was a kid, police were usually cool. You know what I mean? They were the type of people who came from your, from your community. Yeah. Uh, they had a vested interest in your community and they probably grew up there and you all kind of knew them. And, and, you know, it wasn't like they were going to slam your ass up to the ground and, and haul you to jail for everything. And, no, it was a conversation like, Hey, Walt, you know, yeah, I know you've had a few too many beers. I'm gonna follow you home. Keep it under the speed limit. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Now it's but now it's all about it, it shifted from police working beats, being pillars of the community, to and and honestly, man, I'm gonna blame it on police unions. And it's gonna sound crazy, police unions, and then also the crime stat nonsense, but. I come from a big. I mean, we, we as you know, we've talked. Like I'm from the Midwest, where eventually I'm gonna talk you into. We're gonna do some Wesleyan tour and go from Dayton yep. to Toledo to Detroit to Akron and Youngstown, and we're gonna check out all the. Which we'll we'll discuss because Aaron has this cool hobby of going to where man has left and checking out the old structures and what happens when men stops using them, <laughs> and it's. Uh, but anyways, uh, 
you know, I, I come from a, a blue collar background. Um, I'm a city. I'm a city. I, I'm like a city. I'm a ghetto country kid. I mean, in yeah. Ohio, like you're ghetto country because your cities are rough. And then you go out to the country, but they're it, they're not big cities. I mean, they're not removed from this from the country. I mean, it's not like people. It, it, it's it's not it's not like they're not metropolitan areas like New York City or Los Angeles. Sure. And uh, you know, one of my comic friends classified it as ghetto country, so I'll <laughs> I'll embrace it. And, yeah. But like the thing with like you know a lot of these towns is unions got out of control. They held the city hostage with the unions. Basically, are are, are forcing the city to be held hostage by big corporations and everything else like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, Reason Magazine put out this really good article about why it's hard for a lot of police to get fired internally. So it's really hard. Police unions make it really hard for for police to be disciplined internally. And yeah. then there's also like a weird brotherhood thing, and it's just weird. There's a lot of weird stuff, and it's not a normal job. And, and quite honestly, like I get why it's not. Um, yeah. But, you know, when it comes to it, like cities should not be using police as revenue collectors. I mean, DUIs here, I mean, like if you look at what it was to get a DUI in 1980 versus what it is today, I mean, it's 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 a big business for lawyers. It's 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 so the the ways. I mean, and 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 I know it kind of sounds like we're we're getting off topic, but we're not because it's all it influences police officers. Like, if if the mayor isn't making enough money for whatever reason why he wants to have money, he's going to put pressure on the police chief. We need to get more citations. We this looks bad. We need this. Um, did you ever watch The Wire? No. No, you should check out the wire because the wire actually really talks about um, the way crime stats work. And there was a, actually this guy, Adrian Schoolcraft. Um, he didn't want to to do the uh, what was the thing New York City was doing when they were just shaking people down, stop and frisk. He didn't uh, think, yeah, yeah, he didn't think that was right, but it was so numbers driven. So he started like recording all of his conversations with everybody and the police force, and they tried to lock him up in a mental facility, and his dad didn't know where he was, and his dad found him and got him out. Like, he's, I mean, he's suing the new NYPD for about $7 million right now. <laughs> and, and, it's, and, it, and the thing is, is that that's just a culture of what's going on with police. It's not about, just like you're saying, it's not about us having a community. It's not about, it's not community-oriented at all. It's about getting fees, getting, you know, getting revenue for the cities. And um, so, sorry for getting on that 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 rant there aaron but i feel like it's 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 very prevalent to our conversation yeah no i I agree with you you know and really the biggest the the biggest crime here is that we've had to sacrifice the peace officer for the the warrior cop you know i would love to just everybody step back let's stop doing stupid shit and let's let cops get back to being barney fife you know what i mean let's not put this pressure on them where they have to come and shoot our dogs because they don't know what the what the dog's going to do, you know? Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, there's other factors. I, I, you know, the media pushes this perception of things are really bad when they're not. Um, did you read Belko's book, uh, the rise of the warrior cop? Uh, you know what? I started looking into it, but I I haven't had any time for, uh, (laughs) for reading for pleasure here in the last couple of years. It's been pretty tough. (laughs) I, I watched him, uh, an interview with him, but I have not read it either because I've been reading, uh, bunch of stuff about sustainable ag and all that stuff but um yeah i ag- i agree with you people if people were more responsible um 
And, you know, and quite honestly, if the war on drugs was over and all this other shit, but I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it gets, it gets out of hand. I mean, you could, there's different scenarios. I mean, you know, people theorize that the government will just do that anyways because they're trying to meet status quo. And yeah. um, oh, there's a lot of things. But anyways, Aaron, yeah. you're on here to talk about situational awareness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, one one final word on on the um, the police officers. When I was I worked briefly as a, a police officer on uh, air base. So this was for security forces in the Air Force. And uh, our NCOIC told us one day, came in there and he's like, "Look, your actions have to be beyond reproach. Whatever you do, you are setting the standard for this installation. The way that you behave, you are the face of this installation, and by virtue of that, you have to be beyond reproach." You know what I mean? So when we have these um, sheriffs who step up and demand more from their officers, they will get more from their officers. Yeah. We, we can leave that topic in the dust, talk about SA, talk about adventuring. Yeah. But, well, it really does go to uh, leadership, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's what we're trying to say. Like, leadership sucks. So we have shitty results going on right now. But um, and we don't hear about the good ones often. We so. don't. No. And I, and I actually had an incident. Um, and, you know, like. Columbus police, like I've heard bad things about them, but most of the time I, I've gotten into it with them one time and I, and I learned how to shame this cop. And it actually it was shitty because I worked with the guy because I was a security and I was a door guy and he didn't recognize me and he got really shitty with me. And I was like, look, I, and he didn't recognize me. And then I kept talking to him and I was like, man, like what's wrong with you? Like you're trying to intimidate me now. You work with me. Yeah, <laughs> and then the guy like realized who I was, and then he felt like an asshole, and then we walked away. And my buddy did do something stupid. Like it was, it was like a thing. I just wanted to know what my buddy did and why we were getting thrown out. And this door guy was just shitty with me, and I was a door guy, and I was like, "That's not how you treat people." Like it, it was like it was just one of those things that like if you were in a role, you know how it should be done. So it's like if somebody is a server at a restaurant and they have a bad server, how much they lose their shit. So. uh it was like the same thing. But anyway, situational awareness. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that because a lot of people aren't aware of their surroundings. A lot of people don't know. You you posted this crazy article about this uh, college football player who just randomly stabbed a guy in the head who was running in the park. And it was like malicious. And the guy did it on purpose. And I, I talked to you about a story that was similar in Toledo where this guy just wanted to go back to jail so he, yep. he stabbed this kid and murdered him. Um, you know, the instances of that happening are incredibly w rare. Yeah. However, it behooves you as a human being to be responsible for, who wants to be responsible for themselves, to be prepared. So let's go in a little bit about situational awareness. Yeah, sure. This has been, you know, one of the, the things I've been preaching for years. In fact, I don't think that we talk too much about it on Two Beers with Steve, but, you know, before guns, before any of that other stuff, your brain's got to be switched on, you know, and I've been harping for a long time now that um, one of the big things that's missing from um, training doctrine, both military, police, and civilian side, is situational awareness and de-escalation. You know, those two skills will get you so far in terms of managing contacts and um, how you deal with people and, and uh, what you set yourself up for. You know, it doesn't just have to do with getting stabbed in the neck while you're out jogging because you get your headphones in and you're not paying attention. Um, situational awareness is applicable everywhere you go from behind the wheel of your car to the grocery store. And um, it's amazing how 
poorly people do with things like uh, maintaining a short-term memory bank. You know what I mean? Like if you interact with somebody, uh, who was that person? I mean, that's a human being. You know, they're important to somebody, and, and the least you can do is try to remember who who they are. What's their name? What's their job? And um, you know, not only is it a courteous thing that will help you in positive interactions, but let's say that that person's shady and they go on to to do something, and the police are asking later on, "Hey, did you see the the perpetrator we're looking for? He fits this description." Well, you can come up and say, "Yeah, I, I talked to that guy. His name's Greg. He was at the park at this time, and uh, he was wearing a thick coat." You know what I mean? Or things like that. Um, so just being more receptive to the information that, that comes in, you know, as human beings, we're, we're kind of designed to follow the path of least resistance. You know, if we don't have to think about something, we don't. And that's why there's not many more physicists, you know, um, <laughs> that's why we have a lot of problems in today's society because oh, yeah. people always go for convenience over what's actually important or needed, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. And these skills were like, they were not up for discussion. Our our ancestors, um, you know, say 20,000 years ago, they didn't have as much stuff to, to keep in mind, obviously. But, man, being aware of your surroundings was not negotiable. Um, and, you know, we come from that same genetic line and we've kind of abandoned it because it's like, well, why, why do I have to pay attention? The chances of something happening to me are so low. Um, but that's now, you know, and uh, I think that, Anybody who, who knows anything about me, I don't think that our future is necessarily going to follow the same trajectory as the last you know, 50 years. I think we're heading down. We're on the, the declining end of this, um, this boom of surplus energy and affluence. Um, and you can already see it. You know, Most people yeah. these days are really confined to cities. And like we were talking about earlier, Ohio is like the, the holy grail of abandonment. Um, but you can find – Pockets of this all over the country. Uh, if you go to rural areas in Utah, Colorado, um, all through Texas, you'll find these abandoned towns. You know what I mean? People just packed up and left. Maybe there's a person or two left. Um, and they're all flooding into the cities because that's where the easy wants are. Yeah. No, it, that's absolutely the truth. And I think, um, you know, something – it was interesting. We were having a conversation about uh, – it was I forget where it was. I think it was it was on um, your wall, and it was about an article that we had posted. And I was talking about, you know, I look at I see opportunity, yeah. And, and there's like a, a lot of people they see it as well, they don't see it as a security thing. And and the thing that you and I both realize is that the idea of a secure job is a thing of the past. Oh yeah. And I think so it's, you know, so, so one thing is that it's, it's important to develop these skills because, as you know, people outsource their protection to police yeah. um, and you can't do that. Like, and it's, it's weird because I'll like say this thing and people try to get on this social justice warrior thing on behalf of police, <laughs> which is funny because yeah. the people that are doing that are, are usually anti-social justice warrior but it's it's the same thing. I mean, they're like, there's a war on cops. There's like, no, there's not a war on cops. It's just the fact is, is that people, the illusion is being, the veil is being lifted, and people yeah. are actually seeing that, oh, these are flawed individual human beings, just like they always were, not these benevolent, you know, superheroes, and yeah. and, and and that's the thing. So. When, you, when we talk about situational awareness, when we talk about things like that, you know, these are skills that are required not just for that, but, you know, hunting, 
for for looking even even I think for me like looking at an opportunity, finding a good business opportunity, listening, paying attention in a conversation to where let's say my buddy Ray has the X business and he's looking for Y customer, but you know Pete and Pete is actually Y customer and that's that's actually, you know, the future of our economy. Like that's actually going to be what we can do to get out of to 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 uh protect yourself when the when the boom is over. Oh yeah. And and that's and that's like what we what you know, what Charles is big on, what I'm big on, what you're big on. And so situational awareness is no different. Like you should know, you know, somebody, you know, I always when I'm driving my car I'm constantly moving my eyes, looking around. I'm like, oh, this guy driving up is he drives like an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get over a couple lanes. Or these people are all on their phones. Let me try to get away from them. And it's and you know, and that's that's what you should do to protect yourself. Because look, the ultimate person that is is in charge of protecting yourself is you. So uh, you know, I, I think it's 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 something that people take for granted. Yeah, definitely. And um, like I say, that's why situational awareness is like the first thing I start driving into people's heads if um, if we're doing like one-on-one training or small classes or whatever is like I want you to look around. I want you to be aware of things. Um, you know, during uh, shooting drills, for example, we'll try to work in where during your threat scan after you fired, you're checking the people who are around you. And if they're – are they holding up fingers? They have a cell phone in their hand. They have a weapon in their hand. And making people notice those things. You know what I mean? And that's that's just kind of trying to tie all this stuff together. And obviously, you know, that's that's what I do with a lot of my time. So – uh, I'm showing a bias there, but you can, you can apply this. Like you said, traffic is a great example. Um, traffic is one of the most dangerous things we do on a regular basis. Uh, and how many people don't pay any attention at all, you know? And, yeah. And actually like, uh, reason pointed out something that was funny, like guns now or cars are now, or guns are now <laughs> something like the way they worded it was wrong. Like, cause actually like yeah. both traffic deaths are, I think actually traffic deaths are going up. Uh, gun death is definitely declining. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, but, like, do you guys have this in Texas where you're driving on the highway and it says be, you know, stay off your phones and it shows the count of how many traffic deaths there's been in your state that year? Yeah. Yeah, we do. It's it's over 1,000 people in Ohio now. I mean, it's it's well over 1,000. And, and, you know, and it's, I swear to God, it's from people on their damn cell phones or it's a fucking drunk driver. Like that's there was it was this interesting book on um, the culture of fear, and yeah. actually Michael Moore had him in his movie uh, Bowling for Columbine. But I got a free copy of the book, and the guy came. It was like my freshman year of college, and he came and he talked to us about it. And he was like, you know what? I'm mean, I'm not afraid of somebody robbing me. I'm not afraid of somebody. This, you know, what I am afraid of. I'm terrified on a Friday or Saturday night. I don't <laughs> I don't go out and drive. Yeah, There's so many drunk drivers out there. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's a fact, and that's not something people are people aren't saying banned alcohol. They already know what happens when you do that. So, yeah. it, you know, situational awareness is is huge. So, and sorry if I'm I'm ranting or 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 getting too much on the soapbox, Aaron. Um, but I I think what you're saying is right. People, if you do have a gun, you need to know if you're if you're trying to protect yourself. You need to know is that a cell phone or is is this person really a threat or not, or is this person actually harmless and just annoying yeah yeah 
one of the one of the common fallacies I hear from people who are more like uh, left leaning thinkers is, oh, when you have a gun, you go looking for trouble. And man, I can tell you, interacting with literally thousands of gun owners over the year, that the exact opposite is true. When you're carrying a weapon, you have to be more cogent of everything going on around you because you realize, holy shit, I am walking a razor's edge between life and death. You know what I mean? One one wrong move on my part, I could shoot myself. I could accidentally shoot somebody else. And, you know, I think anybody who is serious about um, their own self-defense uh, takes those things into account. And, and it's kind of the natural bridge when you start talking about situational awareness because uh, Tom Givens says that um, there are no uh, misses. There are unintentional hits. So like if you fire around, you've got to be accountable for where that thing goes. Um, and that's, again, it ties back into responsibility, ties back into situational awareness. Plaxico uh, Burris. <laughs> that, I'm sorry? Plaxico Burris. I'm not familiar. Oh, Plaxico Burris, a football player, played at Michigan State, was playing for the New York Giants, was out at a club after, I think it was after they won a Super Bowl. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, shot himself. Oh, <laughs> with his gun because he wasn't trained with it. He had an illegal gun and he shot himself. Yeah, and it just kind of shows that, like, just everything we were kind of saying. It, I I just felt like Plaxico Burris put it. He was in my head. Uh, he's an athlete, not a role model. Wasn't mm. trained with a handgun. Had a gun because he felt like he needed to protect himself, but he didn't know how to use it, and he shot himself. Oh yeah, having yeah. fun at a bar. Yeah, yeah, show, probably showing off. You know what I mean? Some juvenile shit, where yeah. he's his buddies. He's got a he's got a heater and everything. And boom! Next thing you know, he's crying on his way to the emergency room. Yeah, people people have to be responsible, you know. And unfortunately, and man, we could tie a lot of stuff together in this conversation. But um, you know, the the pop culture around guns has turned into one, and this has been you know thirty years in the making now. But it's turned into one where the gangbangers are the ones who have the guns. You know what I mean? The hotheads, the renegades, the outlaws, those are the guys who have the guns. And it's popularized that amongst that culture. You know, the reality is those guys, they usually have, you know, some piece of shit 25 that they stole off of great granddad's nightstand, you know, yeah. and, and they're not gun people. They don't have any idea what they're doing. And when you hear these statistics about them, it's not at all indicative of the larger community. It's, um, it's actually a, a much smaller community. It's a much more irresponsible, obviously, uh, segment of society. And you just you got to understand um, how the how the cultures shape the way that people view these things, you know. And um, honestly, I, I read some really compelling um, stories about how uh, when what is it Vanguard bought and privatized the prisons that they, they demanded a 90% occupancy rate. And they also have about 60% holdings in what Virgin mobile, uh, the companies that own MTV, you know, and they're spitting out all this steady stream of sex, violence, and drugs. And it's getting just lapped up by, by cultures who are um, disenfranchised, impoverished. And you know, what do you see? You see rising crime in their neighborhoods and you can say, ah, well, they made the decision, right? Yeah. But it's not that simple. It isn't that simple. Yeah, I mean that's that's like the thing um when we were talking even about terrorism earlier like we we had a conversation we we're like we can both agree it's not that simple like now we're in this situation where you know realistically we've the US government's indirectly created this monster of ISIS. Yeah. <laughs> so but to fight it what do you got to do? You got to put troops on the ground. But even then I mean it's like uh 
when do you pull out? When do you say it's this is good? I mean, and it's 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 just one of those bad things, man. So it, it's nothing. It's never a simple answer. Um, and uh, and and it and this is the same thing. I mean, you know, people try to to you know, it, it's it's very popular amongst. I would even say, you know, more right thinking people that you know, well, they're making their own decisions, blah blah blah. But it's like, yeah. man, like you're acting like that these people came from a background where they had support and yeah. they don't. And and most murders are gang drug related. I mean, like, honestly, like I live in the city of Columbus. Um, I live in what's considered to be a rougher area, but it's not dangerous. Like I'm not, I'm not a gang banger. Nobody yeah. wants to bother me. I don't want to bother them. It's like, it's not like people are just going around trying to invade homes. Um, which was the case when I was actually at Toledo University of Toledo. There's a spot where people would go and rob all the time because they knew all the college kids lived there. But, you know, th- that's not happening here. And there is, like, murder rates are, there are murders going on, but it's usually all gang-related. And it's, you know, and it, you know, they, they'll report it in my neighborhood. They'll, they'll talk about another shooting in North Linden or South Linden, and it's like, well... And it's, you know, thought to be gang related or drugs related or crime related. Yeah. And, and, you know, but it would make sense for me, like, to be, you know, look, just because I live near that doesn't mean that it won't come across my path. Like, even if I am trying to be uh, a representative of the community or trying to do something good for this community, I should still be prepared to protect myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's the prudent thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, the the whole uh, duty to protect issue is what really switched me over. You know, when uh, – what was it? Gonzalez versus uh, Castle Rock or something like that. I can't remember what it was. There was a precedent. I'll look it up and get back to you. But um, basically it was a Colorado case that uh, became case law and states plainly. The, the police officers have no duty to protect you. No. Now, all the shit we were talking about before, put that aside and say, hey, there's some cops that are really going to go out of their way. They'll do whatever they can. And there's some cops who, let's face it, your life is not as important as theirs. That's just the human nature of the issue. But if you, no matter how you cut it, those guys may or may not be there when you need them. Bottom line, you know, who will be there when you need them? You. Yeah. And um, that that should make it pretty plain who the um, you know the ultimate responsibility falls on. And. Uh, well, that's, I mean, and, and again, we could tie a lot of things in. It's the same thing with a job. It's the same thing with anything. Like the ultimate responsibility for you always needs to fall on you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I completely agree. Like with, um, the depression, you know, I, I think we're headed for another depression. Yeah. Um, and if we are, and we land in that position, you know, the people who are not marketable, the people who don't pay attention to what's happening, the people who didn't plan, the people who didn't uh, have any sort of situational awareness, they're going to be the ones who get hit the hardest. You know, and God help them. I, you know, I, I firmly believe you can tell almost everything you know about a person by how they treat society's weakest members. But you can't help everybody. You know, and, and all you can do is encourage people and they may say, yeah, I'll get around to it. And they never do. And when it comes down to it, I mean, are you going to give them your kids food, no. you know, how do you, how do you help people who don't want to take those steps? You know, it's just, we got a, such a culmination of things going on in our country right now. And, um, it's, it's certainly shaping up. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And, um, I, I, uh, 
I I have hope. I mean, even though we do sound some doom and gloom right now, it you know there is hope though. I mean, the fact that um there are actually a lot more people that do want to own guns now. I think Jack Spierko said it best. Barack Obama is the best gun salesman ever. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, more and more people are buying guns. More and more people are buying ammo. Um, and it, it is funny too because people there was this claim I remember. Whenever a Democrat took office, that ammo, ammo, uh, it was harder to buy ammo than made a shortage. But it was really that no, just everybody bought a lot more ammo because they were coming into office. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, my friend actually makes his own ammo. He's a he's a skeet shooter. Oh cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I've never I've never done that. I think everybody should make their own shit. But I think. Um, you know what what we're really trying to say here is is you know people need to take responsibility for themselves in in every aspect of their life and you know safety is is a big part of that and if you cannot look i mean there's a lot of people that i mean i i'm i'm totally cool with people being uh being well trained with a knife i think a knife can be a lot more effective than a than a gun in a lot of situations oh, yeah. but you know, I, I think it goes it goes hand in hand. I mean, you need to people need to take responsibility for themselves, safety and all. And yep. um and uh so anyways, shifting gears, let's talk about your adventures. Let's talk about, you know, Ohio really is the face of it. And when you were talking about uh the depression's coming, I feel like it's already hit most of Ohio and yeah. I feel like it's gonna be on the rise. Um I think once, like Toledo, once it gets rid of Jeep, it's going to be in a lot better place, and it's yeah. and it's going to take about fifteen years, twenty years, but it's going to be on the rise. But, um, anyways, so your hobby. So if you go to Aaron's Facebook pictures, you'll see him carrying a rifle around. But a lot of times he's like on these adventures or these excursions to de- abandoned cities or abandoned old old abandoned factories. Um, how did this come about? So when did when did you get this passion for wanting to go to man wastelands? Oh man! So this it came from a couple different things. Um, I was inspired by some some urban explorers who who've obviously come before me and just seeing their stuff. And I I, I sat there and I was thinking to myself, dude, this is like the ultimate expression of going into these places and seeing beforehand. Like if you want to mentally prepare yourself for the worst case scenario. Go check this shit out, man. It's right there. It exists. It's there in the United States. And a lot of it was kind of a continuation off of, um, you know, coming back from Afghanistan and having this this uh, feeling of a purpose. And it, shit's exciting. I hate to say it. As, as shitty as deployment can be, those moments where your your heart rate goes up to 150, uh, when they do hit, it's hard to forget them, you know. And, and going out and being a part of stuff is um, – you know, a way to kind of relive that and and just get out and not know what the fuck is going to happen when you're out there, you know, because you're in these places that look like, uh, you know, stuff out of horror movies. And, you know, obviously nothing terribly exciting ever happens. But and, um, let's, and let's talk about your military background. I know you were in you were in the Air Force and I know at one point you were you were a weatherman. Yes, but, I was. But yeah. what else, so what all did you do in the in the military? Well, I um, I started off as uh, a combat weather technician. Now, that gets a little fuzzy because they switched the career fields um, while I was in. Uh, I think when I was about four years in, they made it to where there was a special operations and there was regular weather. So 
uh, I kind of got left in this weird no man's land because I was part of um, the combat weather technicians who were forward with the army. Your job was to work with the army, conventional side usually, and I uh, worked with a lot of rot- rotary aviation and infantry. And so we were expected to do the same shit as them. And everybody out there listening is going to laugh their ass off. But I'll tell you, you know, we if you're motivated and you're a good troop, you're a good troop. It doesn't matter what branch you're from or what job you're doing. The people who tell you otherwise are full of shit. Um, so I did my best to always make sure that the people knew that, hey, if you need it, I've got your back and I'm competent. Um, and I had a lot of great opportunities, actually. Um, you know, we, we went to an equivalent of infantry school, got to torch off a bunch of claymores and throw hand grenades and all that, uh, do a lot of simunitions training. Uh, and then I, I became a patrol deputy for security forces as a, um, it was kind of like a side job. What they had is a program where they were taking people from different career fields because they had such a shortage. And uh, I worked with them, got some great opportunities and holy shit, lots of real world experience. I actually loved that job. Um, never a dull moment. You know, you're, you're always right there in the front when stuff was going on. Um, got to do some response to active shooter training and, and things like that to really open my eyes um, to sort of the complexity of, of gunfights and things like that. And, uh, you know, ultimately went overseas, did deployment and, um, spent a lot of time at the field hospitals out there because I wanted to sharpen my medical skills. Um, so man, oh man, I, I tell you just, you'll see every kind of, uh, dehumanizing wound you could possibly imagine. Um, definitely a, a sobering experience. Uh, and while I was there, I did the exact opposite of what everybody advised me and I volunteered for everything. Uh, so I ended up spending a few months, uh, out and about setting up sensors in remote places and, you know, getting shot at at remote fobs and things like that. And, um, it was a lot of fun, you know, it was a lot of action and, and, you know, scary at times, traumatic at times, but, you know, ultimately it all kind of led to, to where I'm at now, which is, you know, I want to help build stronger people. I want to start mitigating potential impacts of collapse, you know, having seen a civil war, I want to prevent civil war. <laughs> um, that makes wanna- sense though. So you, you had the opportunity to have a nice cushy military job and you're like, fuck that. I want to learn some shit. Yep, exactly. And, um, you know, it was, it's a unique career field, uh, that I was in because you, you really have that opportunity. Um, you know, if you want to go out and do site surveys and, and be setting up equipment in the middle of freaking nowhere on the Pakistan border or whatever, you'll go and, you know, I'll tell, tell people stories. They won't believe me, but they sent me out by myself. Um, I would, I would get to like a, a fob, like shank, Sharana or something. And I would go contact whoever the aviation unit was. And I'd say, Hey man, I need a lift to, you know, this, this, uh, combat outpost out here. And they say, all right, two days. And I would camp out and then I would jump on a helicopter and they'd send me out by myself. I'd go out there and do what I need to do. And, uh, then the fun job of trying to find a ride back. I got stranded a couple times and just had to fucking hang out. So, but (laughs) that's crazy. What do you do when you hang out? Um, oh man, just depends. Depends on where you're at. I remember, you know, one spot I slept, I slept on a wooden bench for like three days and, uh, you know, another one, um, I volunteered to go and, and jump around with those guys and, and, um, you know, nothing much happened, uh, but where I was at in 2011, you would think that more would be going on, but it was mostly, um, IDF, which is indirect fire, you know, like they're dropping mortars or, um, things like that. 
and it's pretty inaccurate. You know, it's not uh, particularly hair raising after your first couple weeks there. Yeah. It when, sort of, what's that? When did you uh, join the military? I went in in 2005 and I left for basic in February 2006. I discharged in uh, June of 2014. So when you so when you got out of high school, because because. Because you're, I think you're pretty sure you're older than me. So you went in after you were an adult for a while and you're like, I'm going to go in the military. Yeah, I was 25. Um, I had been a fisherman. Actually, my uncle was a Yakima Indian and uh, we spent a lot of time fishing for Pacific salmon on the Columbia. And um, I worked some shit jobs in between that. And I, I tried to go to school and realized, dude, this is a fucking ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> and decided, no, 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 no. I'm not going to blow you know, a hundred grand getting a degree may or may not help. Um, I'm going to go into the military. And another thing is like a lot of people say, oh yeah, I joined because I'm patriotic or I joined for the the school money. It's never that simple, man. It was both. I felt like a, a chump being the guy who's like sitting back and doing nothing. Uh, and I figured, you know what? Long run, it'll help me. Uh, and I'll have a few extra bucks for school. So I decided, yeah, I'll get in, and uh, I went and did the ASVAB, and and um, I actually was uh, kind of a hellraiser as a kid. I'm surprised they took me because I had a few arrests, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so the you know the Air Force in particular, they usually turn their nose up. But um, I was fortunate enough to to have been accepted after about uh, six months, and and um, yeah, and then I was kind of picked by weather, and and went and did that. That's pretty awesome, man. I don't know. I, how old are you now, Aaron? Uh, I'll be 34 in April. Okay, yeah. So I thought, yeah, you're about four years older than me. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's super cool, dude. So, anyways, I just figured we'd give everyone a background. And what do you? So, what are you doing now? You said you do. You, so you teach classes for um, arms training. Yeah. Right now, I'm working on kind of a um, pilot program with a friend of mine who uh, who's doing like NRA basic, and we're working on some curriculum for um, some other pistol courses and, and rifle courses. But my uh, area of specialty right now has been on emergency and disaster management. Uh, towards the end of my military career, I actually worked to help stand up the um, Homeland Response Forces for a variety of states. And what that is, is it's um, it's like a interface between FEMA, local sheriffs, uh, the mayor, um, DHS, FBI, whoever they really need when an emergency happens. So I spent a few years doing that um, and had some interesting experiences. And man, what it really taught me is that the government's approach is strictly utilitarian, man. They're, they're there to rescue as many people from the bulk of the population as they can. They'll work their way to the fringes eventually. But if you're a standard deviation out, uh, you need to be able to rely on yourself. And that's a significant portion of the population. I mean, shit, these days, pretty much anybody in rural America is is at risk. You know, if there was a, you know, Hurricane Katrina situation, for example, you know, who got all the attention? Where did Hurricane Katrina hit? City. No, man, it hit Biloxi. It hit yeah. uh Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it didn't hit New Orleans at all. New Orleans just took the brunt of it. But that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm getting at is – if you're in the country, if you're in Ocean Springs or um, you know Biloxi, you don't get a lick of attention. Um, and my goal is to kind of start um, elaborating for civilians: Hey, what is an emergency? You know, what is it? How can you identify it? And once you've identified it, how do you plan for these things? And um, I've got it down to you know a few steps I think are, are very formative and and are helpful for people. Uh, so my goal is to start standing up a class here uh, first of the year. 
That's awesome. You, do you have a website that's going to be coming out or anything like that? So if people want to sign up and take your class, they can. Uh, yeah, right now we're working on it. Um, if you want to get a hold of me or anybody wants to get a hold of me, the best way to do it is through my Facebook. And we also have a, um, a page called ISG, which is Integrated Survival Group. And that's, uh, that's kind of our hub right now. And what it is is exactly what we've been talking about. It's everything from agriculture uh, to disaster management, skill at arms riding horses, you know, anything primitive, all of our old skills we've lost touch with. And, um, you know, the ISG mission is to keep those things alive and propagate them and, you know, take them like, uh, you know, like chip grafting and, and plant them somewhere else so they can grow and fruit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking it up now. Is it just ISG? Uh-huh. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. We'll put a link in the show notes. So yeah, let me join, join the group or like it. Um, well, that's awesome, man. Uh, I tell you what, Aaron, I could talk to you for a, a long while, but I know you're a busy guy, and we're right at about an hour. Um, th- definitely gets you on again in the future, though. Uh, yeah, continue. Let's, uh, yeah, well, one thing we didn't talk about was, uh, well, I guess we could probably actually go into it because I don't – you got extra time here? Sure, yeah. Hey, my whiskey's about half done. Let's get it on. <laughs> I might have to go get another beer. Uh <laughs> So what we had talked about was um, Alice training. And actually, let me hit pause real quick. All right. All right, guys. We're back. I had to take a short bathroom break and uh, get him another beer. And I think Aaron had to top off his whiskey, maybe. He's more responsible than me, though. Oh, I got nothing to do today. It's the uh, day of rest here. Yeah, man. That's so important, right, to recover. Like, taking a day. I actually was supposed to do a couple podcasts yesterday and – Somebody canceled, and then another guy canceled, and then I didn't realize I had something else going on, so I had to cancel on a guy, and then I'm like, man, today I'm just going to chill, and then um, when my guy canceled, I was like, I can record today, I was like, cool, and you hit me up, I'm like, yeah, we're definitely going to do this, Yeah, I've been trying <laughs> to do this for so long, um, yeah. but one thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, and it's going to hit back to situational awareness, is um, I sent you that thing, Alice, that that's uh, somebody out of Youngstown is doing and and it was something i said what do you think of this and you said if you have no training i think it's great because you know one thing that we didn't talk about is mass shootings so right now there's this huge misconception about how many there actually are um there's people from the left saying that they're mass shootings but the fbi is only saying that there's been four um and there's other people who are saying there's been over 400 this year, 200 this year, and it's just nonsense. Yeah. yeah. So what's the bigger issue? So um, I remember in a case of emergency, or so people are maybe asking, you know, obviously there's people saying that they're not real, and then there's other people saying that, oh, they're, these are patsies or whatever, which which is just conspiratorial, so we're not going to cover that. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is more of a reality right here. So... The reason why so many people get killed during mass shootings is because the training that schools are supposed to like prepare students for if it happens just makes them sitting targets. Yep. And you know, one thing that my mom went through this training, and it's good that Youngstown's doing this because it is like a rougher school, but my mom told me this story and I sh- I should really reach out and maybe we can both talk to the dude that does it but um you know if you have a book if you have anything throw it at him like use anything you can to protect yourself like don't like there's no rules when it comes to protecting yourself 
The yeah. rule is protect yourself. It's not, well, you got to do this. You got to do that. Oh, well, I can't because I'm told to sit at my desk. And, you know, usually the people that have something bad happen, it's because they don't, they just sit there and let the shooter come and shoot them. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, why, why are we being taught this? Why are we being taught to sit still and not, not run out and create more chaos? That's what I don't understand. Uh, you know what? It's a dehumanization thing. We have we. So people in our government. Yeah, uh, the people who are in the government and who are trying to uh, mitigate these things, they view people fighting back as um, stepping out of their lane. You know what I mean? It'd be like if um, if the sheep started acting like a goddamn wolf dog, you wouldn't know what to think. You know what I mean? Your, your sheep yeah. start tackling wolves. Nobody would know what the heck to do with them. And then yeah. pretty soon you might start thinking, what are we going to do with these sheep? You know, are they going to start tackling us next? Uh, so really it's about a mentality thing. And they, they want to keep uh, people as docile as possible. And part of that is the stay calm. Uh, the, the authorities are being alerted and we'll be there soon. Um it reminds me of Mars Attacks. Remember Mars Attacks? Yeah, that's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. So um, the truth of the matter is, no, get the fuck up, fight back, fight back. Uh, as an homage to um, my friend Paul Gomez, rest his soul, uh, anything's a weapon if you hold it right. Um, get out there, do whatever you can. If you're going to die, in either way, if you've got somebody coming through, find those opportunities and seize them. Um, now, that's not for everybody. I understand there's some people who – when they're faced with stress, they lock up and that's a normal response. And it's also an experiential thing. If you don't have any experience with fighting, um, the chances are you're not going to be very effective at it. Um, but good statement. It, yeah, it's, it reminds me of an onion article. Uh, the average man is 4,000% less capable in a fight than he thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny, but, um, yeah, the truth of it is, is that, you know, fighting is, if I had to sum it up from my experience, it's about being able to turn up the volume faster than, than your enemy um, and be able to be more willing to hurt them, him than he is to hurt you. Uh, and in an active shooter situation, that's not likely to happen. You know, these people have decided to die. Um, so what happens at that point is you have to make a decision because you're on the chopping block at that point. Can you fight back? Uh, and the answer is yes. Are you going to die? Probably either way. You know, so... For me, if I knew that I, I had been shot and wounded or killed, but the person stopped at me uh, and was unable to kill the 20 or 30 people behind me or maybe even five or 10, um, I would be happier than knowing, hey, I died and, and now that somebody will say some nice words over my corpse. Um, but that's a mentality issue and some people have it and some people don't. Um, you know, I would like to, to cultivate it because I think it's part of being uh, strong as a nation. You've got to have that will to survive. You've got to want to live more than that son of a bitch wants to kill you. And, you know, if you don't, uh, there's not much you can do for yourself. So, yeah, I 100 percent agree. And um, so really, I think we can actually wrap it up after that, man. I know we, we put pause a little bit, but I think that's a good way to wrap it up. What do you think? 
Yeah. I mean, I want to um, amend my earlier statement. Yes. I said integrated uh, survival group. It's actually integrated skills group. Um, there was some some changing that went on as we we modified the mission. So it's inter- integrated skills group, and it's a community organization on Facebook. You can look it up and join it or like it and follow it. Uh, and I'd be happy to answer any questions if anybody has them. You know, please feel free to contact me if uh, you want to talk more about a class or even just uh, BS about the um, the ins and outs of this stuff.
yourself, look down upon yourself, take your inside of yourself, look in front and back of yourself, till the back and front of yourself is inside yourself, and then you see your own head and know yourself is yourself. Because when you find yourself, you're going to find that yourself is only yourself, and the self that can only be yourself. So when you're in front and back of yourself, you're going to find that your mind is in the center of yourself, and God is nothing but yourself. And when you reach for yourself, you'll know that yourself is the only thing that can happen to yourself so that nothing can put you down. Don't, don't, don't. 